welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Well, hey, if you would, if you haven't already, open up your Bible to Romans chapter 8 or click over there on your device. Uh, As Nikki had mentioned, we are in week five of our series called Supernatural. And what we've been doing is we've really been leaning into the scriptures to discover the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because I think sometimes that can get a little bit muddy with just uh, generalized ideas that don't necessarily come from truth. And so uh, I do just want to welcome everybody here this morning. I want to welcome those who are joining us in our online campus and at Bluffton community, and then thanks for being here, uh, Memorial Day weekend uh, here in the house. So uh, it's going to be a good, good day. There's this prevailing idea regarding culture um, in, or excuse me, prevailing idea regarding freedom uh, in our culture today, okay? There's kind of like, hey, what is freedom? What does that mean? And so um, I think it's said in a lot of different words or different phrases, but the underlying meaning behind all of that is still the same, right? Um, And it's this, real freedom is me being in charge, like that's, that's the prevailing idea of freedom in our culture. Me being in charge, that's real freedom. And so real freedom is when I get to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whomever I want, right? Like life without guardrails. Um, life with zero constraints, nobody telling me what I'm going to do. The ability to roam, the ability to explore wherever it is that I desire. That's freedom. That's kind of the prevailing idea behind freedom. But here's my question. What if that idea, what if that understanding of freedom is actually wrong? What if if that idea of freedom, of a life without guardrails, a life with zero constraints, what if that's actually, what if that's actually hurtful and not what we're designed for? The reason I question that definition of freedom is simply because I think about a a couple of different circumstances, right? You think about like the ultra wealthy or the very well known um, who have access to lots and lots of resources. Um, They're not very limited in their decision making capacity and yet we hear time and time again stories of just feeling unfulfilled. And they're looking for real meaning. They're looking for some kind of purpose because it's not where they thought it was going to be, right? Um, you know, ev- even in our own lives, think about, for most of us, some of our greatest moments of regret that we look back on comes from when we were living the most free, doing whatever we wanted, right? That's like where, where regret ends, usually t- tends to come from. I think about, you know, what about people who finally reach their dream of retirement and and they're going to be free from work and that's going to solve all of these problems when they finally get to retire. And then actually when they enter into retirement, they realize that there's this whole new set of challenges that actually popped up that weren't present uh, when they were working. And they're going, oh, well, this isn't all that I thought it was going to be. Um, even think about this, right? Even kids, right? I, I, can't, I can't wait to grow up, and I'm going to get my own place, and I'm going to do whatever I want, right? You ever, have you ever said that? You remember saying that like when you were a teenager? I said that. I remember saying that. Um, so then you do. You, like, you move out, you go in place, you do what you want, and like, what do you want to do? 
I want to go back home. <laughs> I want to I go home. I don't want to be, I'm done adulting already. I give up. Um, and so, yeah, but so, so perhaps this idea of freedom, this idea of life without constraints, uh, I can do whatever I want with zero guardrails, uh, perhaps that's actually wrong. Perhaps freedom is something else altogether different. Maybe there's something more or different to freedom. And so I want to look at Romans chapter 8 and see what does the Bible say about freedom and how does the Holy Spirit lead us there. And so Romans 8, uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm reading out of the ESV. That's what's on the screen. But you can go ahead and follow along with whatever version that you have with us. But this is what it says starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what Paul is doing here is he's exposing what freedom really looks like. And he's saying this, he starts off saying, if you're in Christ, if you've come to the place where you have said yes to Jesus' forgiveness and you have said yes to Jesus' leadership over your life, then for you, there is now no longer any condemnation. That's an interesting word, and I think it's worth just kind of in talking about that for a second. So what is this idea of condemnation? Well, if you're a criminal... Right, if, and you're condemned, that means you've been found guilty, and you're awaiting your punishment. Right, that's that's what it means to be condemned. You're guilty, and you're waiting your punishment. If we're talking about a building, or we're talking about a house that's been condemned, this building has been deemed or judged uh, unfit, unsafe for people to use it, for people to be in it, and it's awaiting demolition day. Right, that's what it means for a building or a house to be condemned. And so either way, I mean, it's not good, right? Condemnation is not good. What's interesting is this, in the original Greek, this word that gets translated condemnation, it's actually a compound word, right? Two words that are brought together. And here's literally what that word means. Living with guilt. Living, living under judgment, right? That's what condemnation is, living with guilt. And you know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're honest with each other, we, can, we don't have to travel very far into our memories or our lives to think of places that we're like, identifying with that idea of living with guilt, living under guilt and judgment. But Paul says, if you're in Christ, the condemnation is gone. So I think that does beg the question, where did the condemnation come from? Well, thankfully, Paul answers that question too just a few chapters earlier. In Romans chapter 5, verse 18, he tells us where the condemnation originally came from. And uh, the passage says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So he's pointing to the one condemnation, right, that began, that opened up the door for all of this other condemnation, all of this other judgment, all of this other guilt. Well, what is that one trespass? Well, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're immediately going back to Genesis chapter 3. And your mind is being, right, this is what Paul's talking about, Romans 5. Being reminded of Adam and Eve in the garden when they willfully decided to choose in opposition to God's leadership, right? God's giving guidance, God's giving direction, and they said no. No, thank you, not interested. 
And so what you have here is Adam's disobedience to God's leadership in this moment actually set off this chain reaction of condemnation and guilt and judgment and like waiting for this demolition day for every single one of us. Because we all live under that. We all have this prone, right, this, this bent towards following ourselves instead of following God. And so that's where the condemnation came from. But, but Paul is saying here that if you're in Christ, then you're without guilt. You're without condemnation. You're without judgment. You're no longer awaiting punishment. You're no longer awaiting demolition. It's gone. It's gone. It's free. How did you get that? How do you get free from condemnation? Well, that's verses three and four, right? That's what Paul's talking about. And so what Paul does is he exposes the gospel. He says, listen, God sent his son Jesus to live the life that every single one of us should have lived, right? We should have lived under God's leadership. We should have lived under God's uh, uh, obedient to God's will in our lives. And so Jesus came in, lived the life that every one of us should have lived, but we didn't. And then he goes a step further and he actually dies the death that every single one of us deserved to die for our disobedience, Right? And so that's what Jesus does. And so think about this. Jesus, the righteous one, right? who's never, never once turned left or right from the will of God. Jesus, the righteous one, stood condemned, guilty, in our place. And then he's on the cross, right? He's crushed. He's demolished. He's punished. He's killed for something he didn't even do, right? He took ownership over our guilt, but that's not where it ended, right? Three days later, you have this amazing moment where Jesus is resurrected out of the grave, right, from the dead, proven to be alive. And what happens is there's this amazing switch that takes place, right? Before, Jesus stood condemned, guilty, crushed in our place. But then after his resurrection, you know what Paul says? Jesus isn't guilty anymore. He's not condemned in our place. You know who is? Sin is. Sin and death now have been condemned through Jesus Christ, right? That's why there's now no longer uh, condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Because Jesus took it all and then actually put it on the one who is actually deserving of it. And so you've got to catch this central truth, okay? You've got to catch this. This is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, God sent the Son to set us free. And you have to catch that first part. Because if you don't catch that first part, then the second part doesn't make full sense, right? So the first part is, God sent the Son to set us free. And the Son sent the Holy Spirit so that we could actually live free. Right? God sent the Son so, uh, to set us free. And the Son sent the Holy Spirit so we could actually live free. So that's what's actually going on here. That's what Paul is exposing here. And he shows us what real freedom looks like. Look at verse 5. This is Paul continuing on here. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so you, you see this word flesh that Paul keeps using here in this passage that we're reading, uh, you have to understand, he's not referring to like, you know, skin and muscle and all, you know, he's not like, he's not talking about our meat jackets, right? That like we all, you know, walk around and he's not talking about that kind of flesh. But rather, in, in this passage, when Paul is talking about flesh, do you know what he's actually talking about? 
He's actually referring to our state of opposition to God, right? That we, that we when we are opposed to God, that this, we have this desire to be independent from God, away from him, to do our own thing, right? To be in control. What he's doing, he's referring to our state of being separated from God, right? We don't have a relationship with him. And so when Paul is talking about the flesh, you know what he's talking about? He's essentially talking about those who live life as if there's no guardrails. He's talking about those who view life, who view real freedom as zero constraints upon their lives. He's talking about people who do what they want, when they want, how they want, with whomever they want. He's talking about those people who hold to this misunderstanding of freedom. And, and what he says is, he says, the Bible says that those who live like that are actually running a thousand miles per hour straight into the brick wall of death. And it always leads to death now and forever. And so you have to catch that like separation from God, eternal separation from God, that's not freedom. If you think like being fully separated from God from all of eternity is like freedom, you don't understand what separation from God really means and what that really looks like, right? Um, living under the weight of your guilt from hurting other people. Living under the weight of your guilt from living a self-centered, self-focused lives where we only look here and do what's best for here. That's not freedom, right? Like trudging through life condemned and waiting for demolition day. That's not freedom. Living life opposed to God and hostile to who he is, that's, that's not freedom either, right? That's not freedom. Freedom is actually not the ability to do whatever you desire, right? That leads to slavery. That leads to death every single time, every single time. You know what freedom really is? Freedom is actually the ability to deny yourself. That's freedom. Freedom is actually the ability to deny your flesh, to deny that part of you that wants to oppose God, to deny this, this, this unnatural bent towards independence from God, right? Freedom is actually the ability to deny the desires that are opposed to God's character, that are opposed to his will. And so what that means is freedom is actually both the desire and the ability to please God to glorify God, to walk in relationship with him, to know him and to trust him. That's real freedom. That's legitimate freedom. That's what Paul's saying here. And so you've you got to catch that the only way to freedom, the only way to be free from sin and death, real, legitimate, true freedom, is when the Holy Spirit is actively transforming your life from the inside out. That's the only pathway to real freedom. That's what he's saying here, Right? And so what Paul does is he, he makes like this really clear statement um, in verse 9 in light of all this regarding the spirit and the flesh and all those things. He says, listen, you, now he's talking to believers, right? He's talking to disciples, talking, about, talking to followers of Jesus Christ. You, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. That's, that's a really important phrase you've got to catch there. I want to read that again. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Right? And so what Paul says is this, if the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you, you're not a disciple. That's, that's plain away. Like if the Holy Spirit is not residing in you, you don't belong to Christ. If the Holy Spirit is not in you, you're under condemnation still. You're still under guilt. You're not free. You're waiting for demolition day. If the Spirit's not in you. Actually, Ephesians chapter one says this, that Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment as a guarantee, as a deposit. When we say yes to Jesus, when we come to faith in him alone, the Holy Spirit takes up residency in our lives and transforms us, and it becomes this assurance, it becomes this deposit that we do belong to him and that we're gonna be with him forever, right? And if, listen, you you have to catch this. If you don't sense the Holy Spirit at work in your life, If you don't sense the Holy Spirit transforming you, if you don't sense the Holy Spirit drawing you, if you don't sense the Holy Spirit leading you, if you don't sense the Holy Spirit growing you, it most likely means that the Holy Spirit isn't living in you. And you actually still need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's exposing here in this passage. Listen, what I'm about to share with you you're not, is not like some mind-blowing thing. As soon as I say it, you're going to go, oh, yeah, well, of course. But we always think of this as an, in an external way, but I think we have to look at this from an internal perspective, right? Listen, it's possible to like attend church your entire life. It is possible to model your life after the lives of others and like follow all of the rules. It is possible to pick up on language uh, that other people are saying as they're growing in their faith and then reflect it back to them and, and tie it to our own lives, right? It's, it's possible even to serve on a ministry team and to go share the gospel with other people and go do missions trips and all of that. It's possible to do all of those things and not actually be a born-again believer who's been gifted with the Holy Spirit. By the way, it's not born-again and either you have the Spirit or you don't. It's born-again and you have this. It's both and. The Spirit, it's, it's, it's a double, right? They both come together. New life in Christ and the Holy Spirit joined together. See, here's, here's why I know this to be true. I know of people who have been in church for decades, even their whole lives, and they've shared with me, they've come over the last couple of years and they've said, I have just recently come to faith in Jesus. Like, it's blowing my mind. I've been, I've been around the church. I've been in the church. I was raised in the church. I've done all of these things, and I just recently came to faith just these last two years because what they discovered is they were living life under their own ability. They were living life under their own power. You know what that is? That's called religion. Living life under your own power, under your own ability, or under your own uh, you know, uh, capacity, that's religion. But the Bible describes, right? Paul calls that the flesh. He says, that's the flesh. But the Bible describes a disciple's life as one that has lived under the power of the Holy Spirit, not under our own ability. And so if the Spirit's in you, what happens is this. You actually, you actually find yourself less and less opposed to God. The more you're walking with him, you're less opposed to God. The more you walk with him, instead, you'll find yourself continue to growing, growing 
to depend on God more and more. You're actually increasing on needing him as opposed to needing him less and less as you grow, right? You're, you're drawn to lean into the truth of scripture. You're drawn to lean into the presence of prayer. You're drawn to encourage other disciples in their walk with Jesus Christ. You're drawn to wanting to share the gospel with people who are still under condemnation and they're still under sin and death. And that only comes, this whole life transformation, it doesn't come under our own ability. It only comes through saying yes to Jesus Christ as your forgiver and leader. And what happens when you, when you come to that point, when you begin to realize what Jesus Christ has done for you, what happens is this. You actually begin to realize that every single sinful, disobedient, self-centered, God-opposed action and thought and word I have ever done and said, what happened is Jesus has actually assumed ownership for all of my brokenness. And what he's done in return is this is every righteous, holy, obedient, God-glorifying, others-focused moments of words, thoughts, actions, deeds, everything that Jesus has ever done or said, he gives me ownership of that. There's this overwhelmingly unfair trade that takes place. Jesus takes all of my brokenness and he claims it as his own and that that which belongs to him, the holiness, the righteousness, the purity, all those things, he gives that to me when by faith I put my trust in him and I say yes to him. That's the gospel. Do you know that? That's actually the gospel. Very, very, very plainly, very straightforward. And when you realize that, when you realize that and you lean into it and you trust it, when you've been born again the way that Jesus describes in John chapter 3, you actually step into this whole new way of living right? It's like this whole new way. It's, it's less and less about me, and it's more and more about God. And that's what Paul was talking about here in this passage when he sets up the difference between setting your mind on the things of the flesh versus setting your mind on the things of the spirit, okay? Remember, he draws this contrast. This is exactly what he's talking about here, right? And, and so here's just, like, let's bring this home for a second, because across all of our location, you know, Bluffton, online, here in the house, we, we have people, Right? Just by, by sheer ratio and percentages, we actually have people in our churches right, who are weighed down by their sin. You're, you're trapped. Right? You feel trapped by your sin. You have no idea how to get to genuine freedom. No clue. Like you, you don't even have a thought on how to get to there, and you struggle badly with sin, and you're filled with guilt. You're filled with remorse, and you're dealing with all of this heaviness on you. You're actually even wondering you know, man, I've been making these decisions, I've been doing this thing, and I'm just even wondering, is God just punishing me? Is God just, is he just causing challenging things to come up into my life to punish me, right, for, for what I'm doing and what I've done and all of that stuff? And so for you, when we talk about freedom here on Sunday morning, that just sounds like a myth. Hey, listen, preacher, man, that's nice to come out of that Bible, but you don't live in the real world. I live in the real world. And this idea of freedom you're talking about, that's a myth. That's not even real. And so for you, like, your every day is actually living in this prison, right? I just, this is it. This is what I deal with. This is my life. But Paul says that's not the case. Paul says there's real freedom out there. So I think the question is, how do you get there? How do you experience this kind of freedom that the Bible's talking about? How do you experience this kind of freedom, the freedom that we're created for? 
Well, let me do this. Before we share that, like, what Paul says is a pathway there, let's talk just for a quick second, the pathway that never gets you there, okay? Here, here's the pathway. We've all tried it. I guaranteed it. Different ways, different options. We've all tried to find freedom this way, and it never works. It never pans out. It never plays out well, and it's this. By trying really, really hard, right? Some of you are chuckling because you're like, I've been there. <laughs> I have tried really, really hard to be free, right? And so like living this super disciplined life in which somehow you break through to a better version of yourself. That's not what Paul's talking about here. This idea that, um, you know, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna force myself every day to get up and I'm gonna take my spiritual vitamins and I'm gonna go through the motions of, I'm just gonna read the Bible and I'm gonna pray and I'm just gonna check off all the boxes and, you know, because then that's gonna show God like he's really lucky to have me, you know? I'm full of joy now. <laughs> I'm a better person, right? That's like the one side of trying to be harder. The other side, or uh, trying to be better. The other side of trying really hard um, is actually the negative, right? Which is like punishing yourself um, every time you find yourself chasing after lustful thoughts, right? Condemning yourself when you daydream about another man who's not your husband being a better husband or a better father or someone who actually listened to you and, and treat you right as a person, right? That's, that's not freedom. That's not even close to the pathway to get to freedom, right? Do you know what happens when you seek freedom through trying really, really hard? You know what happens? You know what Paul calls that? You're setting your mind on the flesh. You're, set, you're trying to figure out, how do I do this? How do I pull it off? How do I be better? How do I figure this whole thing out? Paul says, that's setting your mind on the flesh. And what does he say? Where does setting the mind on the flesh always lead? death. It always leads to death, right? It leads to death. It leads to this, this ability that it's, it's leaning into this hostility against God. It's leaning into this idea that I can do this. I can pull it off. I don't need God. I can be independent and make this stuff on my own. Paul says that kind of lifestyle, you can't please God. You can never cross into real freedom when you're living that way. See, what Paul does is he exposes freedom in the way to get there, and he says, listen, when you realize what Jesus has done for you, when you realize what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, how he's transforming you, how he's changing you, right, all of those things, there's just only one response, and it's not setting your mind on the flesh. It's actually the exact opposite. It's setting your mind on the Spirit, and it's setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. You know what he says that leads to? He says that's the pathway, the pathway to life. That's the pathway to peace. That's the pathway to real, legitimate freedom. So how do I set my mind on the Spirit? Well, you might, you, some of you guys are like, I think I already got it. But other of you guys are going to kind of be surprised when I share it with you. How do I set my mind on the Spirit? That's actually what this whole series has been <laughs> up till now. We've been exposing what it means, what it looks like to set your mind on the Spirit. If you remember week one, uh, one of our elders, Larry Sewell, uh, kicked off our series uh, showing the connection between the Spirit and the Scripture, right? And how the Holy Spirit always leads us into truth. And so when we engage the Scripture to discover the character of God, that's setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. Um, in week two, we saw how the Holy Spirit is a person to be known as opposed to like this force or power that we manipulate to get things that we want. And what he does is he actually empowers Christ followers to follow Christ 
as opposed to following ourselves, right? To living under the flesh. Instead, he's empowering us to live by the Spirit. Two weeks ago, if you were here, Kelly Essener uh, talked about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. He did a, such a remarkable job of showing the difference that the fruit of the Spirit is not like this goal to be achieved and, and go be better and go try to do whatever to get to the fruit of the Spirit, but it's actually just this supernatural outflow that takes place when the Spirit is active and working in your life. And then last week, we discovered that the Holy Spirit actually empowers us to serve other people, right? He gives us these supernatural gifts. They're not for us. They're not really for our own benefit. So you can be like, hey, look at me. Uh, but rather, it's like, it's like, I'm serving you. I'm blessing you. I'm helping you. How do I help you, you know, grow in knowing Jesus Christ through the gospel? And so to set your mind on the Spirit as we think about these things is simply this. It's to think deeply on Scripture, it's to think deeply on the character of God exposing ourselves to truth from there, right? That's what it is to set our mind on the Spirit. It, to set our mind on the Spirit is actually to invite the Holy Spirit to influence and to guide our thoughts and our decisions and our words and our actions to actually trans- ask Him to transform our very lives, to transform who we are. Have you ever heard this phrase before? laboring in prayer. It's a phrase that's like, you just don't hear it anymore. You heard it like a ton, uh, like in uh, late 1800s, even back, you know, hundreds of years prior to that. But this idea of laboring in prayer is so foreign to our culture because we're very much an instant, let's do this thing now, right? Take a pill, get those extra 12 pounds off you don't want anymore, you know. Go to this hypnot- you know, hypnotic class and they're going to help you do this or that or whatever. Um, hit this button and, you know, we'll get you all the context you need for your business. And so we're used to now, 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 now. But when you look in the scripture, there's actually this idea of laboring in prayer, trusting God every step of the way. And I would encourage you, if you've never labored in prayer, you should. Like, you really should, like in all seriousness, Like, if you've never intentionally set aside an undetermined amount of time just to simply talk to God and hear what he has to say to you, you should, right? If you never have, you should, like, like just get with God and just, like, bow before him in all of his glory and his might. And, and maybe you're, like, wrestling with, with this thing that just you can't seem to get rid of and, and you feel this drawing to this opposition to who God is and, and you're just, like, going after this thing and it's like, you know, God, I don't know how to, I've been trying to do this, I've been trying to do that, but it's just sticking and so maybe I just have to deal with it and I just got to live with it and it is what it is. You know, maybe it's time to like labor in prayer and to just lay yourself before God and and, like ask him and almost beg him for freedom. Like, how do you transform my life? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live with this guilt. I want to do this. I want to be exposed to your holiness. I want to live in your righteousness. I I want to look like you instead of anything else. If you've never labored in prayer before, I would welcome you. Like, you should lean into that. You'd be amazed how God, how the Holy Spirit begins transforming who you are by simply sitting at his feet and giving him time. That's, that's what it is to set your mind on the Spirit. To set your mind on the Spirit is to serve others in a way that explicitly points them to hope in Jesus Christ, right? Which is, which is way different than like this do-goodism and then hopefully, you know, people pick up that I'm a Christian because I saw my bumper sticker as I drove away or, you know, whatever it is, I don't know. But like, When you read the Bible, it's really clear. It says to be prepared in every season to answer the question, why do you have hope in Jesus? And why should I? Right? That's really different. 
And so a life centered on truth from scripture, a life centered on intentionally leaning into the person of the Holy Spirit, partnering with other growing disciples in ministry and helping others take steps of growth. Do you know what? You know what the outflow of that kind of mindset is? Paul says it's life. He says it's peace. It's freedom. That's really different than like guilt and condemnation, right? Those are miles apart. But that's how you set your mind on the Spirit. That's the only way you set your mind on the Spirit. And so he makes that really, really clear. And then what he does in these last few passages, Paul exposes so much hope for the person who sets their mind on the things of the Spirit. Look at verse 12. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, right? We're in debt, but not to the flesh, not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so when you say yes to Jesus Christ by faith, it's this complete reorientation of life. Changes your thinking, changes your decision-making, changes how you relate to other people, it changes how you approach God. Because in Christ, you're not a slave anymore. You're not a slave to sin. You're not a slave to death. You're not under condemnation waiting for demolition day. You're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. You're co-heirs with Christ. You can run to God as Abba, as Papa. Right? It's not this far off, you know, king of glory, may I come to your thing. It's like, no, dad, I need you. I'm freaking out down here, you know? And you just lean into him. And you trust him. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what your life would look like if you knew you had been declared not guilty? If you knew you had been set free, like really free, like free to love God, free to love other people, like free to love the people who love you and then free to love the people who really annoy you. You know, like loving everybody. Could you imagine how your life would be different? Like if you didn't have the weight of guilt and bitterness, and resentment, and regret, and shame. How would your life be different? You'd have all that weighing you down. Like, how would you open up your life to other people? How could you be present in the now? Because you're not consumed by yesterday and the past anymore. Imagine finding real freedom from sin. Right? And I'm talking about way more than just like behavior modification. Like, yes, the Holy Spirit changes our actions, but you know what the Holy Spirit also does? He gives us a new heart. He actually gives us a brand new heart. How could God use your life when you have a heart bursting with love for him, like this deep desire to know him more and more? Like you want to worship him, you simply want to know him, you just, you just want to love him and be around him in joy and thankfulness. How would your life be different if you experience victory over blinding anger, victory over jealousy, victory over an addiction to pornography, victory over an addiction to substance, or addiction to some other person, imagine being set free to make decisions 
no longer based on what other people are going to think of you and how they're going to respond to you. Imagine experiencing victory over self-centeredness. How would that transform your life? Can you just imagine enjoying the fatherhood of God? Like just like running to his presence in prayer, right? Like knowing that he has plans for you that are good, and he has plans to use your life for his glory, right? What if you lived in the assurance knowing that your Father in heaven is your provider and he only allows good gifts to come into your life, even when those gifts are wrapped up in suffering and challenge? Like knowing that God still has purpose and goodness within all of that. Imagine living in the truth every day that you're God's favorite kid. Don't tell the others, <laughs> right? Man. See, when you, when you really say yes to Jesus, what he does is he gives you the Holy Spirit and he'll begin to transform your life. You have to see that real freedom, like real freedom is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's led by the Holy Spirit. And so here's my question. I want to I hang up on this. Here's my question. Just all our locations, here in the house, Bluffton, right, online, all. Here's a question. Like, what's keeping you from really saying yes to Jesus? Like, really saying yes. What's keeping you from saying yes to Jesus? Is it your condemnation that's stopping you? Is, is it the guilt that you have weighing down on you? Is that what's, is that what's stopping you? from saying yes to Jesus Christ? Do you think that you've thought? Do you think that you've said? Do you think that you've done too many hurtful things that there's no way God could forgive you, that there's no way God could accept you, there's no way Jesus could pay the penalty for what I've done, and so he couldn't possibly forgive me? Is that what's stopping you? Or maybe is it the fact that you have been in the church your entire life for decades, and to come to a place and admit to other people that I just now got it. I just now actually said yes to Jesus by faith. That would be too embarrassing for me. And I couldn't do that. Can I be just straight with you for a moment? All of those things we've just talked about, do you know what those are? They're walls and they're barriers and they're lies that Satan has set up to keep you from experiencing real joy, real freedom, real forgiveness in Christ. Because if, we can, if he can keep us in this little prison, and the reality is some of us are actually nervous about, because we've gotten used to this. I know what to expect. I know who to trust. I know who to not trust. I know how I'm going to get hurt and when I'm going to get hurt. So I'm just okay living here in this little place. I don't know what's out there. And I'm just as afraid of what's out there as I am of the challenges and the hurt and the guilt and the shame and the regret and the bitterness and the resentment and the anger and the, all of those things. But I know this. Can I tell you what's out there? Like when you really say yes to Jesus Christ, you know what's out there? Joy. Freedom. Love. <laughs> 
faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, right? You know who's out there? Jesus is out there. God's out there. The Holy Spirit's out there. But here's what's amazing. When you say, yes, he doesn't stay out there, you know what he does is he comes in here. And how are you going to get any closer to somebody than when they're like, they're here? Like, how, where is the separation? I don't know. But he's like here and I sense him and, I, and he's leading me. And he's like, it's amazing and it's incredible. And the truth is this. There's nothing that you could say or you have said. There's nothing that you could do or you have done that would actually cause God to love you any less or that would cause God to love you any more. See, his love has been put on display for finality. Jesus on the cross and out of the grave is this clear exposure, this clear display of the character of God and his love for you. And he's exposed, like overwhelming. You've got to know that God loves you fiercely. Paul says in another place, he goes, you, you, you think you know God's love? You don't even know that. You couldn't handle the depths of God. You couldn't handle the width. You couldn't handle the height. You couldn't handle the length. You, you couldn't handle all of it. If God really let you in on all of his love, you couldn't handle it. And so if you want to be free from your sin, if you want to be free from your condemnation, you want to be free from your guilt, you want to be free from all of that, but then also you want to be free to love God. You want to be free to love other people. You want to be free to actually step into your purpose. Right? I'm talking about real freedom here. Real, legitimate freedom. That always begins by saying yes to Jesus Christ. Because God sent the Son to set you free. And the Son sent the Holy Spirit so that we could actually live free. And if you want him, come and get him. It's that simple. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We ask this question every Sunday when we teach at Lighthouse, and it's simply this. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? What are you saying through this passage? What are you saying through this teaching? I just want you to listen. I want to give you a moment. If you've been at Lighthouse for any amount of time, you know that one of the things we don't do is um, when it comes time to, to making decisions, we don't guilt, we don't cajole, we don't try to manipulate, we don't do anything like that. Because um, here's the reality, right? The Spirit of God is, is speaking to you and you hear Him or, or you don't, right? And so there's like no amount of manipulation or, or causing things to happen. Um, that's, that's not fair anyways. And so we just don't do that here. And so um, as I was praying and preparing for this weekend, I just uh, believed very deeply in the depth of who I am that uh, we could not leave this weekend without giving a very clear invitation for people to say yes to Jesus. And so uh, I'm not, I'm not going to hold out long. I'm not going to linger. Nothing along those lines. It's just simply this. Um, if you're here this morning or you're joining us online and you're new to this whole thing, you're like, I'm just, I'm learning about who Jesus is, but I really like what he says in the scriptures. And you're like, I want that freedom. I want that newness. I want to be set free in that way. Let me say this. It's normal for people to say yes to Jesus. It's really normal for people to give their lives over to Christ, to experience his forgiveness and love. And so if that's you, uh, man, and you sense him inviting you, you can say yes today, and it's awesome. 
But I also want to talk to some of you who are here in the building or, or online in one of our locations. Simply this, you may have been raised in the church your whole life. You've heard it all. You've heard what I'm saying right now five times, maybe 20 times before. But this time, God's speaking a little bit like right to the core of who you are. And you've been trying so hard. You've been working to be a better person. And I'm trying not to blow up on people anymore. You know what the reality is? You may have been setting your mind on the flesh for your whole life. And today's the first day that the Holy Spirit's inviting you to trust Jesus by faith. And I'm going to invite you to say yes too. Even if you've grown up in the church, you've been in the church, maybe you've been a leader in the church. You're like, you know what? I've been doing all that under my own ability and I'm ready to start trusting my faith and letting the Holy Spirit work in me and through me. I'd invite you to say yes too. And so in just a moment, what am I, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm just gonna count to three. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. If you're online, I'm gonna ask you to, wherever you're at, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. Bluffton, raise your hand, wherever you're at. I'm just gonna ask you to do that. You're like, well, I'm in a coffee shop. Do it anyways. Somebody asks you why you're raising your hand. Say, oh, I just gave my faith, my life to Christ. Let me tell you about it. All is good. But if you're in that place and you recognize, man, I am ready to start living by faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I got lots of baggage. Yeah, I've got like all these problems going on. But man, it seems like Jesus can handle that. And I'm going to trust him with it. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to count to three. And at the end of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand here in the house. Online, maybe let us know online that you're making a decision in the chat or something else like that. But real simple, no guilt, no cajoling, nothing. If you want to say yes to Jesus and you want to let me know so I can pray with you, I want you to raise your hand. One two, three, just wherever you're at, raise your hand, let me see it, so I can know to be praying for you, you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, yeah, I see that, thank you, I got you in the back, awesome, wow, anyone else, anyone else, ready to say yes, don't hold out long, because we're moving on, all right, Father, we thank you so much, we thank you for who you are, Oh, I thank you for the joy of freedom. I thank you for grace. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the Holy Spirit living within us. I thank you for the Holy Spirit transforming our lives from the inside out. I thank you that you have purpose and meaning for who we are, and we're not left to ourselves to figure it out, but the Holy Spirit guiding us step by step, moment by moment. And God, I would just pray against like the enemy trying to steal, kill, distract all of those things this moment that you're doing. And so we praise you for this whole morning of like eight or nine people we know of here. I don't know if uh, people in Bluff are online. We will find that out later. But the people that you are inviting to say yes and they're trusting you by faith. And so would you help us to set our minds on the things of the spirit as opposed to the things of the flesh, that we would trust you, your work, your person, your ability instead of ourselves because that's how we're designed to live. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Holy Spirit. We worship you, Father, because you are the only one who is worthy of our worship and praise and adoration. And we ask all of these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.